0: Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, and we're in chapter 22, we're going to begin from verse 14, and we'll read down to verse uh, 38. Okay, let me me read it to you. When the hour had come, he, that is Jesus, sat down with the twelve disciples with him, twelve apostles with him, and he said to them, With a fervent desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he that is Jesus, took up the cup and gave thanks and said to them, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine uh, until the kingdom comes again. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question among themselves, which of them it, would, uh, it was who would do this thing? Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or who, he who serves? It is, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves, but you are not those who have continued uh, with me in my trials And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he that is Peter said to him, "Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death." Then Jesus said, "I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall crow. Shall I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me." And he said to them, when I sent you out without money, bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And the disciples said, nothing. And when, then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise a knapsack he, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And so they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Amen. Today we'll be looking at from verse 14 down to verse 20. Christ instituting the Lord's Supper. When the, the hour had come, he sat down with the twelve, and the twelve with him. And he said to them, Fervently, with a fervent desire, have I desired to eat this supper with you before I suffer. Here we, we see Christ and his disciples celebrating the last legitimate Passover. After this time, the Passover loses its, its meaning. Jesus, during this meal, he takes something that has been established under the old covenant. A, a reminder, an agreement, a visual representation of the agreement God made with Israel. And now Jesus takes elements of that ritualized meal And transforms them and changes them to mean something else. It is the end of the old and the beginning of the new. Here Christ is now pointing to something new. The establishment of the new covenant. First thing... I would have you notice, is verse 15, that Jesus says, with a strong desire have I desired to eat this meal with you. The idea here is, again, a, a strong desire with a great passion have I desired or have had the passion to do this. It was not reluctantly. We, we might say with, with intrepidation, with ambition, with, with enthusiasm, have I waited I've been longing for this moment. We can understand that kids with their, their birthdays, when they come up, they're, the, they're going to have a party and the kid is waiting and waiting and they're excited. And we understand that, that blossoming, growing enthusiasm and passion. There's an excitement there. That's what Jesus is expressing. His excitement, a great desire, even though he understands What's about to happen? He talks about before I suffer. He knows exactly what's about to happen to him. And yet, he approaches it not with reluctance, but with enthusiasm. Not just simply because he understands that he's going to be dying for the 12 or for the, the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem and in Israel but also for all people who will believe. A peculiar people, a particular people who will be zealous. He's dying to redeem his people. And he is enthusiastic about it. Jesus was not reluctant in dying for you. He didn't look at you and think, I don't know if that one's worth it. When I was considering these verses this week, I thought to myself, Jesus, who knew that he would die for me, he is God and he knows all things, and he knew that his death was for me and that it would be applied and I would believe. He didn't look down the corridors of time and think, who's going to believe what Kyle might? No, it was the act of election." He, I was chosen before the foundation of the earth. My name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Christ particularly died for me. And he did so not reluctantly, but he did enthusiastically. Jesus enthusiastically gave his life in order that I might be saved. Let that sink in. Jesus enthusiastically rescued you. Now we understand. I'll give that. I'm skipping points here. Let me go back. It was not reluctantly, but it was with great desire. It was with passion and enthusiasm that Jesus Christ gave his life. The idea is he is looking forward to the end of the old and the beginning of the new. He is ushering in an open door and an invitation, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world, for people from every nation, tribe and tongue. And it was with, again, enthusiasm, enthusiasm, He then, Jesus takes the cup and shares it around. This meal, again, it was a ritualized meal. And there was, uh, we would say like a toast. They, they shared a cup of wine and uh, they had four toasts. You understand what I mean by a toast? During a wedding, people get up and give a toast. And there were four of these throughout the meal. Here is the first one. Jesus, before the beginning of the, the meal, they take a cup and they, they drink from a, a common cup. One body. They, they, they show their, their solidarity. They're all in this together. It's a reminder for them that as a nation, God delivered them that God had made a covenant with his people and that he had fulfilled it. This meal in itself was a reminder of God redeeming Israel from Egypt, of the price that it took for them to escape death, not just slavery from under Pharaoh's grip. They were builders, slave labor in, in Egypt, but when the curse of God came upon the land, when the, the curse, the, fa- the, the plague of the death of the firstborn, when the angel of death moved through the land, claiming the firstborn of every family, during that night was the blood applied to the, 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 the doorposts and to the lintel signifying that there were people of the covenant, people who were, who were God's people living in that house, and they were trusting in him. And therefore, the, the angel of death knew that it was the Passover, judgment passed over. And in some way, they were signifying their trust that God would redeem them. Do you remember when Jesus was being baptized, and I, I know that was a long time ago in our story. Jesus was being, uh, even before Jesus was being baptized, sorry. And John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says to, the other, to the, his disciples, Behold, look there, the land that takes away the sin of the world. John signifying that Jesus was to be that sacrifice, John understood the significance of Jesus. What he meant by that was that the blood that was applied to the lintels, to the, the, the posts and to the lintel of the house, was to be the blood of a, a spotless lamb. We all know that. It's a common story. We, we understand it. We're, we, we're so Christianized, we understand and Remember that. But that sacrifice was just a symbol. It was a type. It was to be a reminder of what God would do. Do you remember when Isaac was to be sacrificed upon the altar? And had the had the knife. He was about to kill his son. And the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Stop! And prevented him. But as they were heading up the mountain, the wee boy said to his daddy, "Daddy, where's the sacrifice? He's carrying the wood. Where's the sacrifice?" And the daddy says to the son, "The Lord shall provide a lamb. Jesus is that lamb. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. God provided a lamb to take away the sins of the world, and that lamb was to be Jesus. So this this ceremonial ritually." stylized meal that they're eating, the Passover meal, is a reminder to the people of Israel of what God had done for them. Of how God had united them as a people. How he had redeemed them out of slavery. How he had protected them from death. But it wasn't the lamb that was actually slain. It was a symbol of him who was to come, the Lord Jesus. And here as they're eating this meal, Jesus is reminding them. Not only reminding, but he takes the elements and he transforms them to mean something else. Verse 19. He says, he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread. Now we understand that there were three pieces of bread. They and they weren't like toast bread that you and I know. They weren't like baguettes or some sort of loaf. They were large discs of bread. Unleavened, like Big cracker bread. We have the cracker beds. Oh, you see the cracker breads that are hung up on, on the things, old style, fashion. These were really big. The breads. they were big. And there were three of them. Three of them. And they would take the middle one and they would break that as part of the ritual. On top of each other, they would take the middle one out and they would break the middle one and they would share it about and they would eat their, their bitter Salsa. Bitter herbs. They had these bitter herbs at the end to to remind them of the bitterness of slavery, to remind them of the bitter tears that were shed during their time in slavery. The entire meal was a reminder of the hardship, of the judgment, and of the redemption, of their escape. And here Jesus takes that bread and he breaks it. And in this moment, he does something new. He takes this bread. And he applies it to himself. This is my body. Now we have to address, what did he mean by this is my body? This is one of those great Reformation questions. There are four views, Christian views on on this. The Roman Catholic view that believe that Jesus turned this bread completely into his body. That it becomes his body. Not that it represents, but it becomes. Jesus is in the, the bread. Physically. His body, his blo- bones, his blood, his hair, his toenails. The fluff between his toenails. Everything is in there. His DNA. And we know that to be a lie. Come on. That's one belief. They they hold to that, that it becomes Jesus, the actual flesh of him. Then there's the Lutheran view, which states that though it doesn't transform physically, it is transformed spiritually, so that the, the, the essence of Jesus, the body of Jesus, is in, what is it they say, in... In, over, and under something. The the ghost of Jesus inhabits it. So though it doesn't change physically, Jesus possesses the emblems. Jesus possesses, so that when you take it, the spirit of Jesus, which is inhabiting the, the bread, then becomes part of your DNA. There's The actual physical spirit of Jesus becomes part of you. I would I disagree with that. I think that's reading into the text. Here, when Jesus says, This is my body, he's speaking symbolically. Jesus also said, I am the door. No man can come to Father but but through me. He isn't an actual door. He also said, I am the vine, the true vine. He's not a, a vine. He said, I am the shepherd, the true shepherd. He's not a shepherd either. He didn't look after sheep. He didn't wander around with a lamb around his neck. Please don't show me that picture at get cross. He is called the Lamb of God. He is also known as the, the Lion of Judah. He is not a lion. It's a symbolism. And here he is taking this emblem. And during the, the Passover feast, it was an emblem. It represented the unity of Israel. It represented the haste that they needed to make, to, to, that they left immediately. It was an immediate salvation. They didn't have time to, to make the, the dough. They, they were to get it ready and go. Here Jesus is pointing to this and he breaks it. The the act of breaking is a signification of how his body will be broken. As they tore that bread. As they broke it into bits. So he too would be broken and torn into bits. That his physical body was the price, the cost. He was letting them know what it was going to take. He was portraying it before their eyes so that they would never forget. He was demonstrating to them the cost. He also said that which is given for you. There's the idea there of substitutionary atonement. He is giving himself on your behalf. It's being done for you. It's for your freedom. Not for his benefit, but for your benefit. His body is being broken. His flesh is being torn. His life is coming to an end for you talks about the severity of sin the high price it takes for a person to find peace with god you can find peace with god only through the death of jesus christ there can be no peace There can be no forgiveness. There can be no deliverance without death. God who is the perfect judge. God who sees all sin cannot justify a sinner. He cannot close his eyes and say, oh, come on in, when he knows that you are guilty of great trespass and rebellion. Of godlessness. Of a life without God. A life lived in rejection of Jesus. That cannot be, cannot be let go. How do we know this? Because Jesus died. He who was the perfect man. Spotless and blameless. Had never done anything wrong. His mom and dad never shouted at him. He he never was late for any... Can you imagine that? He was never late. He was never rude. He was never disrespectful. He committed no crime. If he had a car, he wouldn't have gone over the speed limit. Paid his taxes. Did everything you're supposed to do. On a human sense. But not only that... And a divine relationship lived perfectly before God. And yet, his body, him, he himself, was given for you. None of us are good enough to get into heaven. None of us. None of us, by our own means and methods, can achieve perfection, or can make up for the things that we've done wrong. None of us have the ability to make peace with God. The Bible says, even our best efforts are like filthy rags. The best way of translating that in our vernacular, they're like dirty diapers. Your best attempts at making peace with God is like offering to God a dirty diaper. This is what I think of you, God oh. offering Him a bouquet of dirty diapers. The only way for you to have ever secured peace was if someone would do it for you. A life for a life. But then that life would have to be perfect. It would have to be of such value that it would cover all of your transgressions. And Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. Indeed, he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. His perfect righteousness, all of his goodness, all of his reward that he earned by living a righteous life has been transferred over to those who believe in him. To everyone who calls out and recognizes him as Lord, who receives the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Christ has been transferred to them. They are covered by his righteousness. They are protected by his goodness. He has purchased, he's bought for them a place in God's family. And all of their wickedness, all of their sin, all of their law-breaking, all of their wrongness has been transferred onto Jesus. It was taken by him and he died the death of all of those who would believe in him. All of the anger, all of the punishment, all of the righteous judgment that was due, you and I as sinners, was laid upon him. All of that anger of God, the Bible calls it wrath. Not just anger, but wrath. Wrath is something great and fearsome and terrible it goes beyond just being angry it, it, it's, there's murder somehow, there's death there's, there's fire in wrath God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus not because Jesus deserved it but because you and I deserved it and Jesus stepped inside stepped in front, have you ever seen a film when the bad guy is about to kill someone and he fires the gun and it all goes slow motion and then all of a sudden someone steps out of, from outside the frame and steps in front of the bullet and catches the bullet or is hit by it, falls to the ground. They have stepped in front and they've saved the hero or something like this. Jesus stepped in front of the wrath of God for you and I. He took upon himself the idea that he gave himself for you and for me. Let us never forget that. And let us never forget that he didn't do it reluctantly, but that he did it with great desire, with a great passion. He gave himself. And then it says, likewise, he took the cup after the supper. This would have been the third cup after the meal. They have, again, another toast. And he takes this symbol and he changes it from its original meaning to something else now. This is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. And the idea here is that he would his blood would be shed. Do you remember, I, I don't know if you remember from Sunday school or just guys from your reading the Bible, when they killed the animal, they collected the blood. And the blood was then applied to the supplicant, to the one who was offering the sacrifice, their thumbs, their ears, their big toes. they was splashed here and splashed there. It was like a slasher party, you know, blood everywhere. And the idea was to remind the person of the cost of their forgiveness. It was a life for a life. It was to be a visible, visible repre- representation. Jesus' life blood. The Bible says it. The life of a person is in their blood. If all the blood from your body drains out, you're dead. Jesus here is telling the cost of this new covenant, this new relationship between God and man, this new contract. And to whom is the new covenant made? To whom is this new promise made? It's to the Lord Jesus, that if he would die for his people, God would save them, forgive them their sins, and fill them with his spirit. Think of the cost. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, do we really consider the cost it took Do we really understand and appreciate that it was with a, a great desire that he desired to give himself? It wasn't reluctantly, and he didn't do it half-heartedly. He didn't do it because he was forced. He didn't do you know, buy one, get one free. You know, he didn't do, and we're just the kind of the strays you get taken at the end, you know, the friend of a friend, the plus one. It was with a specific eye. He looked upon you and he gave himself. This is the cup of the new covenant. Again, here we have the idea of the blood. Being poured out. But also there is the idea of the wrath of God. The Bible talks about the wrath of God as being a, a cup full of bitter wine. It's the kind of drink you drink and it, it burns your throat as it's going down. It's strong alcohol. I, I enjoy a TV show called Moonshiners. Okay? American hillbillies who make illegal whiskey. And... Uh, when they, I, I've never, I, I can't say I've never had moonshine in my former life. I have had. And they drink it and it, it's, like, it's like pure alcohol. It is pure alcohol. It burns as it goes down. It can actually make you blind if you drink it wrong. And the idea here is that the, the wrath of God in that cup is like strong drink. And yet Jesus drank it down. Drank every drop. Left nothing. There's not a a little ring in the bottom. But he took everything. And that you yourself will never have to experience the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus took it upon himself in every single way. Beloved, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper with those emblems, those those representations, those types, the bread that is broken. We, we break the bread in order to remind each other and ourselves of what was done to Jesus and why it was done. Doesn't The bread itself doesn't save us, doesn't make us holier, doesn't make us better. It is to remind us of what Jesus did for us. It is to bring us to Jesus and to cause a gratitude, a gratefulness, a a thankfulness within our hearts to remind us that he with great passion gave his life for us. That we are to be grateful and to celebrate that we are his, not because of our efforts, not because we believed, Not because we made some sacrifice, that we killed some animal. But because God on our behalf offered up sacrifice in order to save us. That we have been reconciled together with God. That God has made peace with us. That is is the reason to rejoice. That he has given us faith in order that we might believe in Christ. That we recognize him as Lord. And I think that's a very important. When you're, you're taking the Lord's Supper, you're proclaiming his death until he comes. Paul tells us that, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We read that portion of scripture every time we take the Lord's Supper. That we are acknowledging that he is our Lord and that we have faith in him. And that his sacrifice on our behalf was an effectual sacrifice. That we are trusting in him. And that we are saved. We are transformed. We are changed. We no longer behave like the people in this world who run after sin. Who dwell in sin. They're blind and see not. But we are those who see and live in the light. We do not behave like those out in the world. We have not the hunger and lust for the things of the world. We are enlightened. Our hearts are filled with the Spirit of God. And the law of God is written upon our hearts. So that we do not do the things that the people of the world do. We do not feel the things that the people of the world do. Feel. We do not fear the things that the people of the world fear. Because the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. We are the redeemed. When we come together as a church, as the, the called out ones, as the family of God, as believers, as followers, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and we come together and we serve one another at the table. We are proclaiming that his death is sufficient, that his death, death is able to keep saving all the way until that last time when he returns again. A new covenant. I like that. Joe will tell you. I've been on a New Covenant binge for forever now. And I'm going through Hebrews 7 and 8. And I'm in 2 Corinthians 3. And I'm in Ezekiel. And I'm pulling. What is the New Covenant? And, oh, my head could burst sometimes. I'm reading through it going, oh, who, who cares about these things? Silly, stupid men like me. All right. It's important. This is a new covenant. It's not like the old. The old is obsolete. Yes, salvation has always been by faith and salvation has always been by grace. But this is something new. Something more than what they experienced. This is God now behaving or acting on our behalf. It is a conditionless contract. Or should we say, the contract was conditioned between God and Jesus with you and I, all there is is that we would believe and persevere to the end. Oh beloved, let us rejoice that this new covenant, this covenant that Christ secured in his blood, this contract, it's not between you and me. It's not between me and God or you and God, it's between God the Father and God the Son. It is a contract Written in blood. It is an everlasting contract that cannot change. And for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Who looks to Jesus in the the light of their own sin. In the weariness of their own humanity. And they look to him and they say, Lord help me, forgive me, have compassion on me. There is a place for you. There is a salvation ready and willing and waiting to save. The Bible tells us that for everyone who comes will not be cast away, they will not be pushed away, that he will receive everyone who comes to him. This is good news. This is the good news. The new covenant that was put together in his blood that was shed for you. And I like that. I like the you word there. I know he's talking to the apostles. But also we understand that it's beyond the apostles, beyond the Jews. To all people who would believe. I I take that personally. I read that and I put my name there. There is the opportunity for salvation. The security. What can I do to lose my salvation? What can I do to break that contract? What did I pay? What did I add? What have I done? The answer is nothing. Nothing. It was done for me and it was done, purchased, secured, not with silver or gold or the treasures of this world. Not the things that men feel are important and of value. But it was secured with something of limitless value. Something so precious that we cannot put a price on it. It was secured with the the precious blood of Jesus. You know, in the olden days when I was a Pentecostal man, you all know I'm a secret Pentecostal stuff. We used to say we plead the blood. You know, there, there, there were times, I remember when I was with the old Christians. I've told you many times when I was a young man, 17, 18, 19, I would meet together during the mornings in the morning prayer meeting, Wednesday morning prayer meeting, and I would meet with all the old fogies from the church, the pensioners. Who had been walking with Christ for like 80 years or something. And I always remember that... And I, I I, used to think, wow, they must be so holy, so righteous. But I always remember hearing them cry, Lord, forgive me for my sins. At their age, they were more sensitive to their sinfulness than they had been when they were my age, 17. Why? Because they, were, they, they, they understood the weight and the heaviness of sin. And yet... They would plead the blood. Lord, Lord, look not at me, but look to the blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. All my sins, Lord, are covered by Jesus. Oh, Lord. And these were some of the most holiest people I've ever met in my life. And yet they understood that sin isn't necessarily what we do on the outside or the things that are happening on the inside of our hearts and all of us until that day when Christ returns or we step into glory we will always struggle with the residue of sin in our life, with fear, with pride, with lust. There will always be that struggle. But they pled the blood. And, beloved, I would, I would encourage you, remind you the cost, the price it took to save you. It was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something so precious and beyond price. Be secure. Understand the love that God has for you. And the place that you inhabit in his affections. One who gives so much on your behalf. Will they lightly brush you off? Will they just simply say, you know what? They're not worth the trouble. They're not worth the effort. I'm just going to let them go. Pfft, can't be bothered. Beloved, do not think like a child. He has put so much effort, so much cost. And not just, not reluctantly, but with great passion, enthusiasm. With desire, has he desired you? He has gone out of his way to get you. Remember that word, you. Beloved, we are New Testament Christians. We are trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we gather together to partake of the Lord's Supper, let us do so with joy. Not because of our efforts, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. By the the breaking of the bread, by the drinking of the, the wine, we acknowledge the cost. We acknowledge the price. We acknowledge that we are not worthy. We acknowledge that we, we must have the efforts of another on our behalf. There are sins which are many have separated us from God. But yet Jesus has come with great desire. And has rescued us. Has established. Has purchased us. On our behalf, a peace with God that is everlasting and cannot ever be taken back. Can Jesus undie? Can his death be annulled? Can he be declared undead, alive, mistrial? No! Because he died once for all. Beloved, let us rejoice. When Jesus here, taking the emblems of the old and repurposing them, transforming them, changing them, making them something new. Because his sacrifice ushers in a new era, a new time, a new dispensation. (laughs) Let's rejoice in that. Let's rejoice in that. And also let's remember, those of us who don't know him, those who are not believers, those who are not have no faith in, in Jesus yet, let's remember that all of us, all of us must stand before God in judgment one day and answer for our lives, whether we live them in faith or we live them in rebellion, whether our lives were... We're righteous or unrighteous. The Bible says that every thought, every feeling, every interaction will be portrayed. We will, the books are opened. Our lives are made, revealed in front of all humanity. And then God judges us. The Bible talks about a great white throne where all mankind stand before God in judgment. The great, the small. Princes and paupers, everyone is gathered before the throne The books are opened and judgment is made. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is concealed. And at that time, when judgment is given, all sin must be answered for. All sin must be paid for. When you break a law in Finland... When you break a law and you're caught and you go to court and the judge gives you a sentence, he sentenced you for your crime. If you've killed someone, you get a certain penalty, whatever your crime is, you will be sentenced and you must suffer the judgment. You will go to jail or you'll have to pay a fine. But there is a penalty for your crime. And if it is so worth the judgments of men. It is more so with the judgment of God. For the law of God is perfect. So much higher. So much more real than the things of men. You and I. We don't really understand sin. The old saying. Uh, can a fish really understand what it means to be wet? Because you know, fish are always wet. Neither can a sinner understand what it means to be sinful. Because we are born in sin. But yet the Bible tells us that there can be one who pays for us. One who will stand in our stead. And instead of hearing the words, guilty, depart from me you wicked into everlasting fire prefer, prepared for the devil and his angels and you will be ushered out of the presence of God and dumped into the hell fires instead of hearing that there, you have the opportunity you have the the, the, the gift presented to you you will be here the words pardoned Jesus Christ shall stand and be your Lawyer, your advocate, the one who speaks on your behalf. No, Father, this one is mine. I died for this one. They trusted in me. They laid hold upon my sacrifice. They partaked, partook in my, new, in my new covenant. They belonged to me. I paid their penalty. I took upon myself their sentence. They are forgiven. Beloved, look unto Jesus. Let him be your Passover lamb. Let him be your saviour. We have much to give thanks for. We have much to give thanks for. We who are believers, thank God for forgiveness. (laughs) We'd all be in trouble. Thank God that salvation is given free. That you don't have to earn it or purchase it. Or maintain it by your good deeds. It has been secured as an everlasting covenant. through the death of Jesus Christ. So beloved when you and I are gathered. And we, we partake of the Lord's Supper. We, we take it and we, we serve one another let us remember that it is a a representation of what Jesus had to do. Not just of his his flesh torn and his blood being poured out, but of his great desire that he, with, with that great desire which he desired, that he would save you, that he would rescue you, that he would die on your behalf. You specifically. Let us rejoice in the fact that it is an everlasting covenant that cannot be changed. That cannot be taken back. Jesus cannot undie. Let us rejoice. You again who do not know him, there is still time. When we gather together and, and... And partake of this meal, the supper. It is as a, a gospel proclamation. Jesus died and there is still time for all those who would believe. But there will come a day. The Bible makes clear, very clear, that there will come a day. When Christ shall return. And the door will be closed. There will come a day when the wrath of God is poured out upon this earth. Get f- fire. And it will be too late. It will be too late and there will be no opportunity. There will be no salvation. There will be no heaven. There will only be hell. Let us remember that when we partake of this meal, we are talking about certainties. Eternal certainties. And that the offer of the gospel has a time limit. It is not forever. The Bible says that the spirit of God will not always strive together with man. That God isn't just standing there going, oh, please go. <laughs> the offer is made The offer is extended. The command is to come. The command is to believe. The command is to repent. Beloved, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge Him as Lord and follow Him all your days. That you too might know the great glory of sins forgiven and of eternal life. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. We are truly grateful, Lord, for this this meal that you gave us, this this supper, this type, this representation, this reminder, Lord, that you died for us, that you you gave, you, Jesus, gave yourself willingly on our behalf, that, Lord, you, you had great enthusiasm and passion. Lord, we remember your your flesh that was broken, that your body that was broken on our behalf, Lord, of what it took, of the blood that was poured out on our behalf, of the great cost of your sacrifice. Lord, we remember that without your sacrifice, we would not be worthy. It is only your sacrifice and your sacrifice alone that has secured for us our peace with God that has reconciled us with the Father. We trust in your efforts on our behalf to secure our forgiveness and our pardon. And truly, Lord, we plead the blood over all our lives. The Bible tells us that we overcame the devil by the word of our testimonies and the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb and our word, the word of our testimonies. Lord, you died to cleanse us from our sin. and Now we have now eternal friendship with the father we are truly grateful for that lord oh lord thank you so very very much father for those who do not know you who love their sin and are far from you who do not have any faith lord we pray to you we are grateful, Lord, that you are sovereign and it does not depend upon what a man does or has, whether he walks or, or stands or runs, Lord. It depends upon your mercy. Lord, we pray, have mercy upon those around us. Have mercy upon those who do not believe. Lord, may they know the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom. May you cause faith in repentance or repentance in faith that, Lord, they might turn to you confess you as lord and savior and that lord that they, they might be born again oh lord may you give them no peace until they come to the he who is the prince of peace lord we pray this for your glory and your glory alone in jesus precious name amen